Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Welcome to Move Your Mind. My name's Nick Brax, and this is a podcast where we have real conversations with real people and give real advice. Addiction. It's a word that carries a heavy weight, a shadow that looms over countless lives. It's the relentless pursuit of something that offers temporary solace but exacts an insurmountable toll. It's a dark abyss that can swallow the brightest people, leaving behind a trail of shattered dreams and broken promises. Addiction comes in many forms, from drinking to drugs to sex to social media or even work addiction. It can creep into your life, slowly eroding your spirit, taking you from a life full of hope to becoming a shell of your former self. But what is addiction, really? It's not just a physical dependency. It's a relentless, all-consuming monster that takes root in your mind, your heart, and your soul. It tells you that you need it, that you can't live without it, that it's the only thing that can make the pain go away. And so you give in time and time again, because the temporary relief it offers is better than facing the demons that haunt you. But here's the cruel irony of addiction. It promises escape, but it only tightens the chains that bind you. It offers comfort, but it leaves you more isolated than ever. It drowns out the world's noise, but it silences your own voice, your own dreams, and your own potential. It's a false friend, a merciless captor, and a relentless tormentor. I also want you to know that addiction doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care about your age, your race, your gender, or your social status. And it can happen to anyone, anywhere, at any time. It can sneak up on you when you least expect it. And by the time you realize it, it may already have its claws deep within you. But I also want you to know this. You can fight back. You can break free from the chains of addiction no matter how tightly they may have bound you. It won't be easy. In fact, it may be the hardest battle you ever face, but it's a battle worth fighting because your life is worth it. Recovery is possible. It's not a destination, it's a journey. A journey that starts with one single courageous step. It's about confronting your demons, facing your pain, and finding better and healthier ways to cope. It's about rebuilding your life your relationships, and your sense of self. To anyone out there who's grappling with addiction, know this. You're not alone. There's hope. There's help. And there's a way out of the darkness. You're stronger than you know. And your life has value beyond measure. It's time to reclaim your life, your dreams, and your future one step at a time. Because you're not defined by your addiction but by your strength and your resilience to overcome it. Today's guest shares his inspirational story of overcoming addiction with honesty and vulnerability. Matt Farnsworth is an actor, entrepreneur, and filmmaker who almost lost his life to addiction. 
He's now using his experience to help guide others to sobriety. Matt, so great to meet you, connected on social media, and we've had a bit of back and forth, but yeah, appreciate you making the time to come and have this chat. Yeah, my, my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it, mate. We are just chatting before, and as, as happens, you know, almost every time with these interviews, you end up having a sort of pre-chat and basically start talking about stuff that would have been, you know, really great on the episode. So I guess straight away, I'm just going to ask, can you give, for our audience, just give a background on yourself, a bit of your story, and essentially how you came to be doing what you're, you're doing today? Yeah, yeah. I um, Let's see, let, let's jump back. 20 years would probably be where we would start in terms of, well, it actually starts before that, when I was a kid. Um, if we're talking mental health here and sobriety and things of that nature, which I think is kind of where we're at on this show, right? Is going yeah, mental that, health, sobriety, exactly. I mean, I've always had a problem with alcohol. The second I first had it, um, when I was 14 years old, uh, I felt like it was just everything to me. But, uh, you know, I, I got in trouble when I was younger drinking. I've always had a problem. And then, you know, flash forward, I moved to LA when I was about 23 years old, 22 years old, started acting, rose very quickly in the ranks there, was screen testing for major movies, people like George Lucas, Christopher Nolan. I was meeting them on a regular basis. And it was great. I mean, I, I made a couple, I made a popular movie called Iowa that was at Tribeca. Gets panned a lot, but it did a lot for me. And ended up working with one of the biggest agents in Hollywood. You and I were talking about that um, and how that worked. And it was tough for me because um, I, I actually got sober um, right before my son was born. And uh, this was about the same time that the movie that I had made got released and at Tribeca. And then it was released in theaters. And I picked up this really big agent. And I was at the peak, man. I was at the top of my game. And... I was made an offer. I remember sitting at Chateau Marmont and, um, you know, he told me you're going to feel the power of, of our agency. And I realized, wow, this is a deal with the devil. This is absolutely a deal with the devil. And I could see it. It was so surreal. It was like nothing I've ever felt before. And he stood up and there was probably the most popular actress at the time, ready to uh, chat and um, chatted a bit. And the deal was, is that we could date and that would escalate my position in Hollywood quickly. I'd probably be in People Magazine the next day. Didn't have social media back then. So you needed this kind of clout to move forward. And, and, I, I, and need, you needed that kind of buzz about yourself. And, and in the industry, people would see that and then they would hire you. And I had a child on the way at the time and I was with another woman and um, I turned it down. And things started to sort of fade after that with the agent stuff. They don't like it when you try to make your own way and you, you want it on your terms because they've offered you the terms. And I struggled with that. I stayed sober, but I white knuckled it. I struggled with that. And I'm glad that I did because there's so many of these stories out there that you hear about, you know, these celebrities that are, they're for, they're, their kids die. And I swear that is one of those deals where it's almost a deal with the devil that you've made and you're, you're willing to give up your firstborn for this deal. You got to give something up. And I could feel that. And so I said no. And I, I kind of struggled, you know, because I, I was very creative. I wanted to, I'd worked so hard to be in that position and to sort of watch it slipping away was, was mentally draining. I mean, you're being offered fame and fortune. And I got a lot of trouble on Twitter for this recently. I posted that I agree with everything Mel Gibson is doing in terms of 
trying to expose any kind of you know child sex slavery stuff that's going on the sound of freedom everything that's happening with that is really it's a positive movement but there's so many people that have an issue with it and i posted that i was in favor of it and then i actually walked away from what would have been fame and fortune i have no doubt in my mind had i dated that person it would have led to something because of the trajectory that i was on and the talent that i had i, I could have pushed this through now, the actor that had dated that woman before this is currently no longer alive. So there's just a lot of crazy stuff when you talk about Hollywood and mental health and the way you're, you're pulled a thousand different directions and everything is at your fingertips there that is just totally evil. And it looks beautiful, presented in a beautiful package, but it is anything but good. So I ended up just kind of making these movies and then ended up social media pops up and, you know, it just sort of changed my relationship with the woman that I was with. She just turned into somebody completely different and was all about it. And my life fell apart, just a mess. Um, I was never really in love with the woman. I just kind of stuck it out because the, the child and we ended up having another child and I wanted to do the right thing. I think this is like my Midwestern roots, like my, my Kansas, you know, mm. roots coming in here where it's like, you know, you, you're taught to do the right thing. And, and, and so I, I tried, but it, looking back, it might not have been the right thing to, to stay in that. But it ended up, everything ended up falling apart. And what did I do? I, I drank. I don't know. And um, it wasn't long before I was just an absolute drunk again. And it took a month. And within six months, I was, you know, flipping a car six times without a seatbelt on, going 60 miles an hour, breaking my neck. You know, it's, 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 you couldn't write this. It's, it's like a Hollywood script. Absolutely. So that's kind of how that went. And then I ended up entering recovery. And I think I was... Recovery was great, but I think the reason why I ended up in all this trouble is because I bottled all of those issues for so many years. I had childhood issues. I had, you know, issues. The, the, the drinking and the, the chemical are what, they were my medicine and they were just covering mm. a much bigger problem. They're just a symptom, really, of a much bigger issue. And I never dealt with it. Even before my son was born, I just decided I'm just going to stop drinking. Well, there's still a lot going on that you're not dealing with. And the reason why you wanted to use that chemical so much, right? It's the problem still there. You haven't dealt with it. So they call that white knuckling. You're just yeah. never really have, you never have any serenity. You're never really happy um, because you haven't dealt with it. And so when I entered recovery, I, I started I was reluctant. I really didn't want to go. Even though I was in huge legal trouble, I was still stubborn. Still fought it. And I, my lawyer, I got a lawyer at the time. She said, you don't have a choice unless you want to end up in prison. I mean, you wrecked a car. Mm. You skimmed the top of two other cars. Nobody was killed. Somebody should have been killed. And it, was, it, was, it was a miracle by the grace of God that nobody was absolutely dead on that scene, including me. Yeah. And 
you know, I entered, I decided to go to recovery and I fought it and I did not want to live in a recovery home. And I had never had to do anything like that and humble myself. And it was I, the recovery home that was chosen. There wasn't a lot of finances at the time. I mean, I had drained everything due to the divorce mm-hmm. and the things that were going on and the separation with my ex. And, um, I entered recovery and it was painful and I fought it and, and I fought it. And the more I fought it, the more trouble I got in, the more I wouldn't turn my will and life over and say, okay, I give up. I'm done trying to control things. I'm just done. The more trouble I got in, I would get a letter from the court saying your charge has been escalated. Now you're facing nine years in prison. Well, wow. And so sit with that for a second and try to control that, you know. And so my mind, when I entered recovery, I had a broken neck, so I had like this big neck brace on. And I had a huge cut on my forehead. I still have the scar. I just massive gash on my forehead. And I just looked like a hot mess. And I just started, I, you know, I didn't have a car, obviously, totaled. And I, I would walk to everything. So I just decided at some point during recovery, I'm just going to start doing what they, they're telling me to do. I'm going to actually start participating. So I, I didn't have a job. I would wake up in the morning and I would walk eight or nine miles to the, the nearest AA meeting and I would do an AA meeting and then I'd walk eight or nine miles home and then I'd walk to the recovery center and I would do my, my meetings. And I, it was crazy. I think I was walking like 25 miles a day and just smoking as I walked, just chain smoking. It's constant. I could, I could not get out of my head. I, if it wasn't about the past and what had happened and how I could have fixed it, Mm. then it was about the future and what was potentially going to happen to me. Nothing was now. And so I think the walking was a way to sort of get me out of that mode. At least I could movement Mm. was the only thing that really kept me sane. But then I started to pay attention and listen in recovery and things started to change. I'm talking a lot. I was going to let you let you go no, ahead. Oh no! Well, I'm I'm loving the story there, but no, thank you for sharing all of that and so many things in there. Uh, a lot of parallels that I see in my own life as well. I uh, had a problem with alcohol in my early twenties. Had a car crash where similar thing. Um, I was had my best friend actually lying across the back seat of the car and crushed. The car ended up getting crushed in half. Was sort of going along a main road went to turn it around, hit a traffic island and it span out of control and we should have both died. Like the police that saw that said, you know, we, they'd never seen a crash like that where anyone survived. And, um, yeah, anyway, a lot of parallels. And then I've sort of had some time in the entertainment world with the acting. So just interesting hearing your story and how open you are about it. And, um, I think it's, it's so important. The message you're saying there about with, with any of these sort of addictions, um, it's not about just stopping it it's about trying to get to the root of what's going on sorry there's some sort of siren going off in the yeah we'll want to wait for that to die down there we go um so anyway um yeah i think it's just it's such an important point that you're making um with the i think people need to understand when it comes to these addictions it's not about just stopping because it will manifest in a million other ways it's about trying to go to the root of what's actually causing this how can i how can I sort of find peace with whatever battle I'm fighting? And, you know, that, that must have been torture for you going through that process, but essential. Hey guys, if you're enjoying this podcast, please click the subscribe button, leave a like or comment, share with your friends, and follow me on Instagram at Nick Brax. 
I really appreciate your ongoing support. I was a mess. And like I said, look, we all have these issues inside. We all have a monster inside of us and, and some, some bigger than others. And the alcohol just tamed that monster and it made it calm, but it also made me a monster personally. So it was one of those things where you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. There is a thing called emotional sobriety. Mm. And emotional sobriety is when you've worked a program, say the 12 steps, and you've had a spiritual awakening where you can say, I turn my will and life over to the care of God or whatever you feel as you understand him, her, whatever it is you feel it is. But it's, it's a way to let go of control. And in AA, we all know that the saying is, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And knowing the difference is really a difficult thing to learn, especially if you have no humility. You're an alcoholic. You want to control everything. And it's a, the rehab I went to, it, was, it, was, it taught me humility. And it wasn't the kind of rehab you go to where you, you, know, you do equine therapy and you pet horses and they tell you how to meditate. It was like, look, you're a piece of shit. And you hurt people and you have a huge, huge ego and no self-esteem. And that's why you do the things you do. Everything's about you. How do you turn that around and how do you start to give versus take? And in giving, in recovery, in giving, you start to heal and, and also telling your story. So the reason why AA and, and recovery work really well is because the group therapy and the talking, every time you tell your story, and you probably know this too, it diminishes the pain that you are going through because you're sharing that story with others who understand you. And you're often shocked that the people that are there understand you because there's actually there's people like me. You start to, you thought, you thought you were all alone in this world and there was no one like that. but you learn that there are people like you. And as you share your story, you know, you start to heal and you start to learn all of the ways in which the cycles in your life, when you work the program, you start to see these cycles that you go through and, it, and you never, you never break out of them because the alcohol and the drugs, they keep you in that cycle. Drink in the morning, drink in the afternoon, stop drinking. 12 hours later, you're going to be so filled with anxiety, you're going to want that again. So it enhances anxiety. You know, it, it enhances depression. And so it was just a terrible cocktail for me when I was going through all of that. It, it depressed me. It caused, it quadrupled my anxiety. And when I was in recovery, I started to learn all these things. And I started to learn about myself. And I started to take an account of all the terrible things I had done and the kind of person that I was. And it really helped. It really helped to um, change fundamentally who I was versus just white knuckling it and saying, I can, I can just not drink. Yeah. And it, it takes hitting that rock bottom to, to go through that process a lot of the time and, and totally agree with what you're saying there. Sharing, I mean, that's the biggest thing I've done for the last 15 years, just sharing my story and, and sharing other people's stories. And it, is I think the most powerful thing because we all, you know, sit there behind the scenes thinking, you know, what the fuck's wrong with me? Why do I find everything so difficult? Why am I unique? Why am I different? And then you realize that you're actually not. Everyone's going through something, but most of us just don't talk about it. So when, and everyone's so relieved to hear it, they're like, oh, thank God. Like I can, 
you know, relate. It's like so, you know, cathartic hearing someone else talk about it. And it helps you. It's just, you know, it's a relief to just talk about these things. It's such a powerful thing. Yeah, isn't it? And, and, and you start to realize, okay, popularity is not going to make me feel any better. Money is not going to make me feel any better. Uh, having another child is not going to make me feel any better. Getting a certain job is not going to make me feel any better. Um, none of the having the perfect vacation is not going to make me feel any better. Those expectations that we set. Yeah. Drive us crazy. And I used to set expectations on myself that were, well, as you can tell just from my story about Hollywood, really unreasonable for most human beings. Most people are not flying up to screen tests for Star Wars and doing these things. It's very, very stressful to, and I expected to get those things, you know? And so every time I didn't get something, I was pretty let down. And it's very easy to run to, to give yourself an excuse to go run to the booze. Um, and I think we do that often. And then that, that, that low you're talking about, there's a high bottom and low bottom, right? High bottom is the person like you or I that has to have a huge car accident. And thank God it happened to you young. And you were able to say, I got change. And we have so many people out there that have a low bottom, which means they're able to maintain it for so many years without having mm -hmm. a big legal consequence or a marital consequence or something that triggers them to stop. And those are, to my, in my opinion, they're almost more unfortunate than you and I because Agreed. they live so long in their disease and there's so much wreckage. It's like a slow train wreck versus, you know, I stepped out on the tracks at the wrong time and it happened instantly. A hundred percent. And, you know, I've got, I know a lot of people like that. And I think it can be a real problem if you have those kind of issues and then you find success early when, while you've got those issues, because if you get comfortable enough, you can, no one around you is going to call it out. And it's like, even when you were, you know, had that crossroads where you could have, uh, taken that role and had, you know, that career, you probably wouldn't have hit that rock bottom. You would have had enough you know, yes, people around you, enough resource, enough um, people feeding your ego for you to never really have to question it. And, and, you know, and these people often, they don't attract the people that are going to call them out. So it is, uh, I, I agree that it's a fortunate thing if you can have that, that happen. You, you almost need to sort of lose everything and be in that position to be humbled like that. Otherwise, there's always going to be some sort of excuse or reason or justification of why you why the behavior is okay yeah and that's how it was for me i mean the, the the person that passed away that i was speaking about had the same complication too many yes people very easy to continue to use drugs and alcohol when you've got yes people in fact i think i would have had more access to drugs and alcohol i think it would have been a little bit easier for me to get the kind of drugs i would have wanted which would have been uppers downers and i i don't know where i would have gone with that because i was never really big into drugs but I, I i i probably could have figured out a way to mess it up with alcohol i was pretty crazy um but i do think that i would not have survived had i had the success at that age i just don't i don't see myself I don't think I would have survived. I think I would have, I think I would have died. I don't think I'd be here today. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those crazy things where, yeah, it's such a turning point decision. And, and I was going to ask you at that point when you made that decision was, were you having a problem 
with alcohol at that point because having, I guess, the regard, you know, regardless of where you were at, you still had the peace of mind or you're able to tap into your, you know, deeper self to be able to make a pretty big decision. I, like, I don't think many people in that industry would be able to say no to that, even if their gut's telling them not to. But you're able to, you know, be very true to yourself and, you know, make a decision like that. Yeah. I had gotten sober six right. months before that and I hadn't been drinking. Maybe even a little bit longer before that, uh, before that event happened. And I go to that event now. I, I've started, thought about it lately and I go to that event because it really was that deal with the devil. And it was, I have to tell it's very hard to say no. Walking away and walking away from the Chateau Marmont that night and walking up to my car, I knew all those years of work, you're, you know you're walking away from that. You know that as you step toward that car, I think it was like, it was almost slow motion like. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm walking away from everything I just worked for and this is what you finally work for in Hollywood and this is how it operates. Oh, I see. It's not about I got that role legitimately. Not necessarily. I'm sure for some people that happens, but it's political and it's who you know and it's who you date and it's a giant high school. And I was walking away and I, it was hard. And, but I, I think I always had a fairness about me. Or even though when I was younger, you know, if you were to ask my mother, what is the main characteristic of your son? She would say, he's very fair. Everything mm. has to be fair. And, and so I think at the time I just thought if I do this to my son on the way, like I said, something's going to happen. There's a woman at my house now that is pregnant with my child that I'm dating and that I'm very, you know, we're, we're probably going to get engaged. I, I really thought that at the time that was the right thing to do. And so morality, it played a big role. And I think it still does today. I think it's been a saving grace for me, even though I went through some real bad times. I'm very happy on the other side, very happy now. And I've never been in a position like this. I never thought I would be. So it was and, a good thing. And able, able to help people. I mean, that's what, what more important can you do than, you know, what you're doing with trying to educate people about these issues, help people with sobriety. I mean, can you tell us a, a little bit about what you're doing in that area? Yeah. I, I'm starting this cool platform. I thought it'd be really cool to do a platform where people can come on and, and share their stories on a social media style platform, a platform that kind of looks like a Facebook or an Instagram where you can come in and share videos, um, pictures, memes, stories on a private platform. We have this social media, but everybody sees it. You know, it's like you, you can't really... Some people don't want to share there. They want a private platform. And so I've created this platform that they can share any content they want. They can even create groups and their own forums. I plan on live streaming on Friday nights where we can actually get together and just kind of whatever it is, hang out, talk about sobriety, even if it's for an hour. That has got, I think that's going to help people a lot to say Friday night I, I'm, I, is typically a night that everybody done with work they want to go out they want to drink they want to unload for that week and i just felt like that's a great concept there's going to be a couple of aa meetings mixed in there in the program very easy to sign up and i'm hoping that people come in and they start sharing and supporting one another on this platform and 
that's one thing I'm doing. And then just the sharing on social media in general of my story and, and being pretty open about it and hoping that it helps people. You know, that's, that's the real goal. And because it's helped me like sobriety, post sobriety, I ended up stepping away from Hollywood. Um, very, very crazy story post Hollywood, post making movies. And really, to be honest with you, I was out of Hollywood anyway, when I had this accident, it was in like three or four years since I'd had an agent, things were falling apart and it's just slow train wreck until that accident. And then after recovery, I picked up physical fitness love weightlifting. It really saved me. The doctor mm. said, you know, you'll probably never be able to do squats and weightlift again and do these things. And I hadn't been big into it, but I'm like, screw that. I'm going to go try. And so I started really pushing myself in the gym. And I, I swear to you, the couple times a day I was working out really were my medicine to keep me sane and sober and give me that dopamine rush and that endorphin kick and just everything that I needed to keep myself sane during that really treacherous time period. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market which is that first year that you're sober, uh, you know, you go through a period where it's really tough in the beginning and then there's the potential pink cloud where you feel like everything's just perfect and my life is just fantastic and then it gets hard again. It gets easy and it gets hard again. You know how it is. It's a yeah. roller coaster. Absolutely. And, and couldn't agree more. Exercise, I think it's, I mean, we all know how important it is, but I think it's profound how much it's helped me. I think it's exactly the same thing. It's medicine. It's, you know, exercise every morning. Uh, mm -hmm. Just it, it clears your head. It, it centers you. It, it, it's something that's available to all of us. So it is such an important thing. Yeah. I mean, you're on a schedule now. You like, you know that if you're off your schedule, there's something wrong. And we yeah. know that relapse happens long before the relapse actually happens. I mean, for me, I hadn't drank for 13 years. And I'm making this, I'm shooting this movie that I didn't really want to be shooting. And I'm in this bar right next to my house. They're walking by with shots for the crew. And I just grabbed one after 13 years and slammed it. I didn't even think. Wow. So wow. I can tell people out there that if you are around it, I moved into a house that was off a strip of bars. It just had bars. It was called Second Avenue. It is in Belmont Shore. I don't know if you know Long Beach and Belmont Shore, but it's called Second Avenue and there's bars everywhere. They line the streets. I think I have uh, somebody mowing the grass out here. Can you hear that? No, not quite. Okay. So it's Second Avenue and they, they, they're, they're cut, it's covered in bars. Well, I would wake up and right. I would walk in the morning to get my coffee and whatnot. And I would smell the stale beer at night when I would go out. I was one block off this huge strip of, you know, 10 bars. And it was like a stimulant. I mean, I would look at it and I would watch the people getting sauced. And I didn't realize this is people, places, and things. This is yeah. places. This is people. This is you're in it. You're putting yourself in danger. And it sure didn't take long. Within a year of living there, I was drinking. And wow. so, you know, to go back, I think we were, we were talking about the fitness thing. And, and so I started training after recovery and it really saved my butt. And I, I even became certified, started training people. 
I have an app that I have. I, I, I think I created like a thousand, 2000 workouts, you know, exercises and routines. And I have a fitness app that I sometimes play. I mean, it's a really cool app. I don't have to create any more content for it, but people love using the app. And I actually ended up training um, a woman who ended up becoming my wife. Oh, wow. And so I said I was never going to get remarried. I was never going to date again. I was done. And the second I just said, I'm done, you know, dating and stuff, of course, you know, this happens. And um, everything changed. I never had a relationship like that where I was sober, emotionally sober, mm -hmm. able to express myself, um, connect with somebody on a totally different level. And I think from the time we went on our first date the next day, it was five years ago. I don't, I don't think we've had a day apart since. Wow. And yeah. I, I think, yeah, we sort of, you wouldn't have had the capacity to have that kind of relationship until you did that work on yourself. And then it's off, it often is when you're not looking for it, when you are in that place, when it happens and when you're actually able to, to have that. And a lot of the time we're just rushing into things, using relationships as another drug to distract us from what's actually going on underneath and all that sort of thing. So yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, when you, when you relapsed, how difficult was that to, um, get sober again from, from that, from that point? Hey guys, if you're enjoying this podcast and want to learn more, I've released my first book, Move Your Mind, How to Build a Healthy Mindset for Life where I talk about my own journey with mental health and share tips from experts on how to maintain a healthy mindset. You can buy the book on Amazon or through my website at nickbrax.com slash book. Well, I wasn't going to get sober. I mean, I had no intention of it until right. the accident. No intention. Right. So it, I was living in this world of pain from the relationship that had fallen apart and this woman that was... I don't want to say it, but just not, not the person that I thought they were. And narcissism is very rare in females, but it does happen. And it was, I was gaslit, like I've never been gaslit in my life. And it drove me insane. I mean, I can't get into detail, but it was <laughs> daily. I would wake up and, and I would have to drink to try to understand life. I, my whole life was turned upside down yeah. in one day. Like, and that's not something that's normal for people. It doesn't happen that often where a relationship just gets broadsided in a day. And it, it was, that's mm. how much I was lied to. It was crazy. And I realized oh looking back over the last 12 years, I've been lied to on a regular basis. And then you start to see, oh my gosh, this happened. Oh my gosh, that happened. All these things that were covered up. and it is difficult for me to deal with. So I just drank to deal with it, to be honest. And that's how it, that's how it worked until I had the accident and then getting sober after that. Here's how hard it was. Had the accident, broke my neck. Wingtip vertebrae, which is breaking your neck technically. One inch to the left, I would have been paralyzed from the neck down for the rest of my life. I can know. So I'm in the hospital and I didn't get into this, but I did, I did die for a short period of time in the act, during the accident. So I had a near-death experience. And it's profound, by the way. If you don't believe in God and you don't believe in the afterlife and spirituality, talk to me for a second because I can enlighten you on what happens when you die and 
what you see. Now, when I came out of this, I was put into a CAT scan and it was awful. Here I am, you know, coming down off cocaine and alcohol and I'm just, I've wrecked a car. I don't know if I've killed anyone. Nobody's telling me anything. I'm in this tube and there's these loud images being taken of me and I'm just, it was miserable. It was just, I've never experienced that kind of terror, but I would imagine that is as close to hell as you would come, you know, other yeah. than being, you know, torn apart and your flesh being ripped off. It was like mental anguish on a level I've never felt. And so once I was taken back to the hospital room, I managed to make bail because I had, then I found out I haven't killed anyone. Nobody's really mm -hmm. been terribly injured. Thank God. I didn't thank God at the time, but I said, great. Yeah. Let me out of here. And they were like, what? You can't leave. You could die. And I said, I don't care. I'm signing out on my own recognizance. Just send, give me the form. I mean, I'm cut everywhere. I've got a neck brace on. I can barely even move. Tell the nurse, just give it to me. I don't care. So she gives me the form and it says, you know, if you leave here, you will die most likely. And if you drink, you will absolutely die. And so sign the form, gather up all my stuff. My arms are all cut. I've got a hospital gown on and I've got all my stuff with me and glasses, just glass everywhere. And I'm just carrying it out of the hospital with this hospital gown on. Call a yellow cab, get in the cab, set the stuff down, hold my neck in LA traffic all the way back to this residence inn that I'm staying at. Jeez. Go to the front desk at the residence and get a key because I still have my wallet. And they're like looking at me like, I can't even believe what they're seeing. It's like a horror movie. And there's blood everywhere. You have to understand I'm cut. There's hematomas on my head. I've been bleeding. There's blood down the side of my face. Go up, drop my stuff off at the, uh, drop my stuff off at the room, walk around the corner of the liquor store in my gown, my hospital gown, buy a bottle of booze, come back to the room and drink until I pass out. Oh my God. I wake up and the bed is just covered in blood because it's a blood thinner and I have cuts everywhere. Oh. It looked like a murder scene. And I woke up and I just, like, I'm not dead. Like this, this is going to happen is I'm going to have to deal with this. And I would have to like slide myself off to the side of the bed and then roll off the bed onto my knees and like hold my head to go to the bathroom. It was, it was quite a sight, my friend. And so to, to, if you, when you ask about the power of well, alcohol and the pain and the mental anguish and the emotional issues that happen, I was, I believe, potentially trying to kill myself. I was in so much pain. I just, yeah, is that, is that what you were hoping at that point? I guess you just, you couldn't handle it. I couldn't say what my brain yeah. was actually thinking. I, I don't know that I was, I just wanted out of this pain, whatever it yeah. was. And it had gotten, it had become so acute at this point that you can imagine, I mean, now I've got this, I know I'm in trouble. I, I mean, mm. I know what this means. It's been 20 years since I've been in trouble. And here I am back where I was when I was a kid. I'm in trouble and I'm 37, 38 years old. Come on, man. Like, that's terrible. Just, it was, I felt pathetic. I felt like the biggest loser on the planet. Had Not only had I turned down all these, this fame and fortune and had I walked away and had a, you know, decent movie a kind of a cool little horror movie but i was with this woman who i thought really cared about mm. me but was actually very narcissistic and 
you know, had gaslit and lied to me. And now I'm in this accident and I've got two kids and I have barely any money. I'm totally broke. And now I've got a huge felony DUI with a broken neck. And what am, it was one of the worst positions you can be in. Other than story. Prison. Other than prison. Yeah. I, that would have been, thank God that didn't. And I, I, I was spared. But again, during the near death experience, I was given an option and stay, stay here or go. And I, I don't think the go was to hell. I don't know why I would have been able to be allowed to go to heaven at that stage of my life. I don't know why, but I decided to stay mainly because of the kids. You know, I have children. I have, even though I was a terrible role model at the time, just awful role model, I decided to stay. And I'm thankful for a lot of that because like, I think a day later at the hotel, my ex brought me the kids and said, take the kids. And I oh, could shit. hardly even... I could hardly even move. These are little kids at the time. They were like seven and 10 or you know, seven and nine. And yeah, I couldn't believe it. But that's what we were dealing with at the time. And that was just, it was just terrible, man. It was just a terrible time, but they saw this and my kids have been, because they saw this knock on wood, they've been great kids. So the gifts of recovery are endless. And because I went to recovery, I actually ended up with custody of both of my kids and I ended up moving out of California to Tennessee and both the kids live with me. And probably the best thing that could have happened. Oh, they're, they're very happy. Yeah. They're very well-rounded. My yeah. son is in college. My, my daughter is going to be a senior and neither one of them have ever had a stitch of alcohol. They don't desire it. They've seen mm. the consequences and they understand what happens with, with, with the predisposition our family has both on my side and their mother's side to alcoholism and drug abuse. Amazing, mate. Well, I mean, what a story. It should be, I mean, this, this is a, a movie, your story. <laughs> it's just like hard Crazy. to script this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, can you yeah. just quickly tell, tell us about, you were saying with the near-death experience or when you, when you died for you know, that tiny period of time, what was that experience that, that you had? Are you able to quickly share that? Yeah, I mean, you're, you learn about grace, you learn about, um, you, you learn that there's something so much bigger than you. It's, in, it's entering the spiritual realm, you're taken out of your body into a, um, like a womb. It, 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 I can only liken it to a womb filled with a yellow kind of white light. And no, nothing of this world exists. Mm. Whatever pain you feel, whatever anxiety you feel, whatever depression you feel, whatever relationships you have, you feel none of it. Like you don't, you don't feel the anxiety anymore. All of the pain and everything you've ever felt in your life is taken away. You're just, it's, it's actually the biggest high you could have. And that's a terrible way to describe it, but it, it's a, it's a level that I've never of, of serenity that I've never felt. And when you're being spoken to, you're not spoken to in a voice that is totally audible. It's almost like a booming, thunderous vibration that you feel and you understand what is being, what, what's coming, what, what's being told to you. You understand it because it's like almost like a telepathy. Hmm. And then you make a choice. So I was, I was given, 
in that situation, a choice of do I go with this and leave or do I stay? And the second that I imagined for a second my children or that I should stay, I was taken out of that womb above my body and I was sucked back down, almost like a movie where you see the streaks of light and you hear that sound. Mm. And I was instantly thrust into just a chaotic scene where they're working on my head, they're cutting off my clothes, and I'm like, oh man, did I do the right thing here? <laughs> that was so nice. I just want to, can I go back to that for a second? <laughs> it sucked. Like going back into my body sucked. I was like, oh, this is terrible. And I knew I was in big trouble. But I went back and I believe that I was coming back for the kids to try to help them. And I think they would be in big trouble if I hadn't. And I'm, so I'm really grateful to God and my higher power that I was able to do this and come back and that I was spared. And I believe it's my, my, it's my duty to help share this with people, especially people who are suffering in recovery and or need that need recovery and are suffering with drugs and alcohol and even mental health issues to One, let them know 100. that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, no matter how dark it is. And it was dark for me. It was grim for me. Yeah. But there is a light, even if you don't see it. And if you it always, up, always yeah. is. Yeah. Small victories yeah. every single day, you know, lead up to that. But the near death experience was something that you would have thought changed me immediately coming out of it, but it didn't. I left the hospital and tried to drink again. Yeah. Cause you need time to process it. And you know, it's, but on reflection, I mean, and yeah, thank you for sharing all of that. And that's a crazy thing. It's sort of, you know, I love the saying, um, life only makes sense backwards, but must be lived forwards because it's not till later on that we realize how everything connected and, you know, where, you know, what our actual calling is and what it all means. And, you know, you being in this position now, being able to do what you're doing, you could have never imagined, but you're probably going to make more genuine impact on the world through all of this than almost any other path you could have gone on. But you, you know, you wouldn't, you could have never in a million years probably seen that it's going to lead to here. No, if you could have told me 20 years ago when I entered Hollywood, I'd be living in Tennessee with a Christian woman that adored me, that had two kids and that I would have two kids from a previous marriage. And I would be working as a high level corporate executive who owned another company and was working on sobriety and helping people i'd laugh i'd laugh you out of the room <laughs> that's life yeah well i think it's great mate and thank you for sharing so we we finish every episode with five closing questions before i go into that um can you just share with our listeners what you do on a daily or weekly basis to just look after your own health and well-being well i have a routine and i stick to the routine um, I wake up, I definitely hit my knees and I, I do pray. And I, I believe that's kind of a meditation for me Yep. You know, in that way. I work out pretty much every day. Now I give myself a day off because I don't want to you know, injure myself and I'm kind of fearful of that at my age now. Um, don't want to tear anything, but I, I take care of myself. I try to eat well and I do fast. I typically fast, what is it, 11 o'clock, 11.08? I haven't eaten yet today and I don't have any cream in my coffee or anything like that. So I will fast and try to get myself into a state where I am fat burning, get some mental clarity happening. And then I also make sure that I think of every day 
because of my near-death experience as a gift. And I try to treat the ones around me that I love as if it is my last day. Because it could be so quickly. And so that's something I do. And I also try to attend a meeting occasionally. And I still do AA. And then I, I also try to get back to everybody I can on social media quickly and respond to people who may be, be struggling. And other than that, I work on, like I said, this Stay Sober Forever system that I'm creating, which keeps me motivated. And other than that, I get to bed early. I don't, I don't stay up real late. I make sure that I sleep well. I think sleep is really, really important. If you want to have a healthy life, mm -hmm. I do believe that there's a, a sleep pattern that you're, is good for you. And once you get past that, once you step over that pattern, say you go to bed at like nine or 10 o'clock at night and that's your regular, you want to stick with that because that's what works for you. And if you go to bed at like, say midnight and you try to wake up two hours later, it's not the same thing. It doesn't work yeah. the same. You probably know that. Um, so those are just a few of the things I do. Drink a lot of water. I still love coffee. Um, try to be happy, man. Love it. Thank you for sharing those, Maiden. Before I go into these, how old are you? Cause you look young, but you're saying, you know, you, you've done all these different things and they start, I'm like, what the hell? Like, I thought you, you look in your late thirties. No, no, I'm, I'm going to be 48 next month. Holy shit. Yeah. All right. Well, you're doing something right there. Yeah. No, I'm not drinking. <laughs> Keep in mind. And look yeah. at my life, you know, 20 years, I only drank for six months. Yeah. Uh, well, it shows. There you go. Uh, yeah. I was curious about that. So these, th these closing questions, these can just be quick answers. Uh, the first one is, what is the best childhood memory that comes to mind for you? Um... Best childhood memory that comes to mind, probably playing baseball. I loved sports and baseball. Um, probably that home run I hit was pretty awesome. Good feeling. I love that. What do you think is currently the biggest burden on mental health in society? Money. I think that there's not enough allocated to actually help people. Yeah. Politically, we're in a mess. And I won't get into that, but the world is in a state of darkness, as you know. Uh, you probably know this. I mean, I don't watch major news outlets really much anymore to get my news because I know that I'm probably not going to get the truth. So I run to YouTube and I listen to podcasters like yourself, podcasters who are trying to figure out what's going on. And I, I just, I think that we don't have enough of a focus on recovery and mental health. And there's too much of a desire to monetize it versus support it, you know? And so just like Los Angeles, man, you go to Santa Monica, there's homeless everywhere. Yeah. And the really interesting thing about it is they all live right below these $20 million homes in the bluffs along PCH. There's encampments. So you've got these homeless people living in these tents and then a hundred you know, yards up the hill, uh, up the embankment, you've got these Adam Sandler and these $20 million homes, Hillary Swank all living right there. And I've seen it. And it's, it's so ironic. It's like, wow, this is, this it's happens. So sad. And, mm -hmm. and it's because they closed down all the mental health facilities. There is, n they closed that down in the eighties and now everyone's just hit the street. That's shocking. Yeah, no, I totally agree. We, we can't do enough in that area. And 
and you're right, they are, it is trying to be monetized way too much and we need to actually help people in the right way and make it sustainable. And I think preventative healthcare is so important and there's not enough of that. So, and medication, they're, they're trying to shove so many medications down people's, you know, down at people, you know, because yeah, big pharma is this, I mean, it's not, let's be honest, it's not a good thing. I'm not on any medication, you know, and I, I think we, we, we fall short in terms of helping people with things like physical fitness, meditation, uh, diet. There's a lot of stuff that could happen that doesn't happen. And there's not very much education about that. I mean, even our food system, the way that we're told to eat is probably not the right way. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a whole podcast in just these topics. Yeah, food, it's a big, the food big we thing. eat. Oh man. And what we're being fed too is also causing mental illness. Yeah, That's a whole absolutely. other thing, like you said. That is a whole other thing. Um, what's your personal definition of happiness? Um, not having expectation. That's what gives me serenity. So, you know, your serenity, uh, the term in, in AA is your serenity is inversely proportional to your expectation. Yeah. So if you can lower your expectations and just live your life, I think that's really what keeps me happy. When I focus on the past, I get very guilty and kind of angry. And when I focus on the future, I feel anxiety. Yeah. So if I can live now through, you know, prayerful meditation and, um, you know, not having the expectation that something is coming or something's going to be so great, uh, that it's going to make me feel better than I usually do pretty well. Yep. It's like that whole Hollywood thing you're saying where it's always about this next thing. And only if I get this and get this level of fame, then finally I can be enough and be happy. And it's like, no, it doesn't work like that. It's, <laughs> it's about just being grateful for what we have now and being present in, in what we're doing. Gratitude. You mentioned it. I didn't say that, but the gratefulness is, is so important to wake up and be grateful yeah. for everything that you do have. And I am, and there are times that I slip. I'm an alcoholic, I'm an addict, and I can start to, to, to think, uh, improperly and I have to catch that. Yeah. What are you most afraid of? Most afraid of failure to be a leader for my family. I, I get, I get fearful sometimes that I, I can't step up to the plate in terms of being the spiritual leader that I need to be, but I try, I do. And I do fall short. I do fall short, but I, you know, I, I think that that fear drives me too, though. The fear is almost a positive thing because it makes me focus on what needs to be done and helping them be successful in their spiritual walk, I think is really critical for me at this point in my life. Whereas it never, it was even a thought before. It was always just kind of about me. Yeah. But, you know, falling back into that would be my biggest fear, would be falling back into being selfish, falling back into any kind of alcoholism or losing my sobriety would be just a huge, it's a huge fear. But it also helps to motivate. Yeah. Well, on a positive note, what are you most proud of? Hmm. I think I'm most proud of just the life that I've built outside of seeking any kind of attention, outside validation, not needing it. Pretty proud of that because I came from a space where it was really important to have outside validation. And even the way you, it comes down to the way you look, you know how that industry is. It's like, 
looks, you judge on your performance, your attitude, your personality, all of it. And I just was so enraptured in that, that I thought I needed to be a certain weight, a certain height, a certain this, that I just, I've lost all of that. I just don't really think about outside validation anymore. So I'm most proud of being able to live my life on a daily basis without seeking affirmations outside of my family. I want them to love me and care about me and, and I want to do, do well for them and the people that actually matter versus people that won't remember you when you're gone. I love that. Mate. Well, thank you for being so open. And finally, where can our listeners, if they want to find more about you, social media, anything else you're doing, uh, where can they go? Yeah. I mean, I'm starting to, to gen up some YouTube content and, um, I think my website, mattfarnsworth.net has pretty much all my links. And then I'm Matt Farnsworth on Instagram, TikTok, and then I think it's I am Farnsworth on Facebook. So if you're on any of those platforms, you know, I'm on all of them. And all you got to do is just type my name in. You'll see me. I think there's you know, enough, enough of a followership that if you type in my name on Google, you might, you might find me on there. And I'm open, you know, if you're having struggles and, you know, you want to join staysoberforever.com. Uh, that's coming up very soon. So I'll be sharing information on that on my social medias. Amazing, mate. Well, yeah, really appreciate it. I really love the chat. I'm sure our listeners will take so much out of it and appreciate you being so open again. Hey, thanks for having me. And I really appreciate everything you're doing for everybody. It's a great thing. Thanks so much, mate. Appreciate it. Thank you so much to Matt Farnsworth for joining me today for Move Your Mind. Also, a huge thank you to those of you listening. I really appreciate your support. If you'd like to learn more or connect with me personally, visit www.nickbrax.com or send me a DM on Instagram at nickbrax. Please don't forget to click the subscribe button, leave a like or comment, share with your friends, and follow me on Instagram. It really makes a difference. Thank you so much. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.